0: Welcome to episode 86 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer. It's back, baby. It's back. We're just a pioneer pod now. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps.
1: We're back, Stan. Another week of The Dive Down.
2: (laughs) Are you guys surviving in the the storm of Chicago? Was it like really brief? It was ex- extremely brief. It was a 10 minute storm. I couldn't even do much storm chaser maging in in that time. But you had like trees down and stuff, Stan?
0: Yeah, Shane, trees be down. It was sunny before the storm, sunny after the storm, but there was like this hour or so where it was gray. And then within that hour, there was like this 20 minute period where we felt like there was going to be a tornado that tore down our house and city. So
2: hard time for the green mages out there. Yeah, there's trouble in the forest. There's trouble with the trees.
0: Also with us, the godfather, Dave Harbarger. I
2: mean, I already made my storm chaser mage joke, so we're just going to go on.
0: On this week's episode, we're jumping headfirst into Pioneer as we break down some of the recent results from the weekend's MTGO challenges, along with data collected from the post-ban preliminary events. That's right, Excel friends. It's another episode brought to you by Pivot Table,
1: Microsoft, get at us.
0: Ben and the Dive Down will draw pro-level conclusions from casual spike-sized sample sizes as we reflect on our own experiences in the MTGO queues. We'll talk about what we played, what we learned, what we saw, and the friends we made along the way.
2: That sounds like a new button. Pro-level conclusions from casual spike-sized sample
0: sizes. That'll fit
2: on a button, right? Yeah, just like four-point font.
0: Yeah. You know, this reminds me. Two more of our buttons are going into the ban abyss.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, they did.
1: I was sending out packages uh, this week. I I think I got every domestic package out, patrons. So uh, I thank you for dealing with my uh, delays there. It's really hard to want to go stand in line at the post office, I'll tell you what. But yeah, I was noticing that, yeah, our inverter and our Heliod pins (laughs) have now joined the Arclight Phoenix uh, Faithless Looting pins in the
0: band bin. I really know how to pick them. But first, a little housekeeping for you, just as a little treat. Thanks this week go out to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation, Nicholas D. And of course, Bob P. increased their tier yet again, really, really showing us what uh, Bob P is all about. Thank you so much for moving up a tier to, I mean, it's not, you're beyond tiers. You're at the top of the mountain. Now you're basically the fifth co-host literal, literal S tier, right? <laughs> also, thanks to Tim pro and Marxist anarchy for the reviews on Apple podcast. Kind of funny. an an anarchist using Apple. Interesting how that works maybe, out.
1: Maybe they joined, they joined just to review us. They use like open source podcast, platforms otherwise.
2: Well, we appreciate you compromising your principles to review us. Then Uh, Stan mentioned the
1: Patreon, you know, every week I talk about joining the Patreon. If you want to, as little as a buck a week certainly helps us out. Uh, You know, we have a little bit of expenses. Everyone helps cover those for us. You know, we have our editor, the hosting and, you know, various services we pay for. So we appreciate everyone chipping in a little bit. We know times are weird. We know there's a lot of places to put your hard-earned money, whether that's getting on by week to week or putting it to other charities, into other podcasts. There's a lot of people who are well deserving of us helping each other out. So if you want to join the Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash the dive down. There's a lot of benefits for anyone who joins at any tier. Uh, We appreciate that.
2: And if not, we're still going to be here. Get some cool stuff like pins about banned cards. And if you have thoughts about new pins you'd like to see us make, maybe we'll just throw the inverter ones and the Heliod ones into the ocean or rocket them into (laughs) the sun and start over. Bury them with E.T.
0: I formally request a pin all about Gush, Modern Staple gosh that's
2: weird but okay (laughs) um you know i tried to make a spirits pin in the last round and everybody was like these are not funny so that didn't quite make it well get funnier dave i'm trying it's hard i'm the only funny one on the podcast so like it's tough and if you would like to support us a different way Uh, you've heard us talk about it before our love for manatraders.com, the magic online rental service that we use to rent and test decks here on the dive down. Uh, I have been a member of, of manatraders since November of 2018. I think at this point, love the service. I've been using it for a long time. If you want to sign up for Manatraders, you can use code down all one word, lowercase, to get 20% off your first three months and give us a little bit of a kickback, and we would appreciate it. So check it out, Manatraders.com. And now we're going to get into pivoting, some pivot tables. Shane is on the news desk this week. Shane, what's
1: going on in Pioneer? A few things. One or two things. Stan did the pivoting, though, so I appreciate that. I, I could have done it, but Stan's saving the effort. Thanks, Dan. Um, so yeah, the breakdown this week, as you might have expected, is going to be going fairly deep into the results of the post-ban Pioneer tournaments. Uh, last week, of course, brought four big bands to Pioneer. Combo decks are at least kind of the known good combo decks. were all axed in order to give players kind of an incentive to come back to the format. That's kind of really what I think WotC was trying to do. Say, hey, no one's playing this. Please come back. And we definitely saw that happen. With, you know, Demir Inverter, Lotus Breach, Heliod, Ballista, Kethis. I've heard people say like Kethis. I don't know. I'm a Kethis guy. Doesn't matter now. Yeah. It's all those combos are out of the format. Players definitely flocked back into the leagues. I think what percentage was up like what? 250% or so like 190 to 490 or something like that.
2: Yeah. It was surprising to me that it's still less than, uh, still less than modern by a good amount. So
1: yeah, that's for sure. I mean, people do love modern challenges and prelims and leagues. Everyone's coming back with old and new decks for us to look at. So today we're going to be going over three different prelims and two format challenges. One of which this Sunday's challenge was the showcase challenge. And these happen a few times like a season, which is like what a three or so a month time span they are the ones that require uh qualifier points to enter instead of just tickets so the competition is typically even of higher echelon than normal on magic online
2: yeah i mean these are beyond i mean just beyond difficult fields like the top eight of the showcase is absurd once we get to naming who naming names of who made it but it included a bunch of luminaries yeah maybe some hall of famers included lsv and gabe and Seif both
1: (laughs) yeah The prelims, of course, we get every deck that went 3-2 or better. The challenges, we get the top 32. So as typical, we're going to go over the overall competitive metagame breakdown, then briefly talk about kind of the winner's meta, which we consider the top eights from the challenges and the decks that went 4-1 or 5-0 in the prelims. After that, talk a little bit about some spicy new decks and tech that we saw in these lists. So our overall sample of the meta was 109 decks, 64 challenge decks and 45 that went three or two and better in the prelims. Interesting pie chart here. All right. How interesting is it? It's fairly interesting. Niv to light. Let's just start at the top. Niv to light. 22% of the meta. It's our new demir inverter. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) (laughs) I just met in terms of percentage of metagame. Well, I have some thoughts on Niv later. Me too. Good. Last week, we did note that the five color NIV decks were appearing to be quite powerful. A lot of pioneer grinders were beginning to move to the deck. They were talking about the deck. People saw them playing the deck. Um, you know, they didn't have to fear combo winning while it got its mana and its mid game engines set up. And what's interesting about these five color NIV decks, of course, is there's slight variations across. You know the creature selection, the planeswalker, the spells, and the enchantments, but the fundamental build now is revolving around Niv, of course. Uro, Sylvan Cary added to Fairy Three and Nahiri are your walkers. You have your removal and sweeper spells, and the newly unbanned Oath of Nissa, and their
2: eighty card decks.
1: <laughs> I didn't even notice as that. well. Because Yorian is the
2: companion. Yep. For that extra bit of value. It turns out when you just want to draw lands, having a companion's a good thing. Yeah. So Niv
1: never truly went away in Pioneer, right? But the removal of the combo decks combined with additions like Yorian, Oath of Nyssa, the Triomes, Uro, it's really pushed this back to a high power level. It can go over the top of many other strategies while it holds down the fort in the early game versus the aggressive decks with, you know, of course, just cards as simple as your Sylvan carry added can frequently just block because it's you can't wild slash or bolt or stomp them or I mean, strike or stomp them, things like that. So from Uro now and getting to your planeswalkers and bouncing stuff, it's just a very powerful deck that I think Dave has one or two things to talk about later in the episode. So I'll stop for now. Casual side, casual spike sized sample. (laughs) Um, up decks at 11% of our meta was mono green walkers, a formerly powerful deck. It wasn't really able to hang in the combo era and it's lost walking ballista, which I thought might do a little bit more to it than it seems. Because the sheer power of this initial ramp and the mid-game mana creation engine of Nykthos or Nyssa or Nykthos and Nyssa, along with the return of Oath of Nyssa, so they're, uh, they're friends, Otha, Otha, and, Otha Nyssa, and Nyssa, <laughs> it's really brought the deck back to metagame significance, which is sweet because I love that deck. Um, you know, Karn, of course, Karn the Great Creator, still gives you potent wishboard tools. It seems like Stone Coil Serpent is the new sort of XCMC artifact creature of choice to replace Ballista. It's a good card. Lot of yeah. lot of uh,
2: lot of text on that card. A Lot of text.
0: So Shane, my intention here not to put you on blast, but put me on blast, please. It's really not my intention here. When Ballista got banned, you had sort of I think lamented that that just means Mono Green Walkers is dead, and I believe we're all pretty glad that that's not the case. Is it just a matter of swapping in? Stone Coil, is that what it's called? Stone Coil, Stone Coil Serpent. Yeah, is it just a matter of like that one for one replacement, or is like Stone Coil like providing something for the deck now that it just didn't have access to before?
1: I think it's just probably the best X size artifact creature that you can tutor up with Karn really easily. And I mean, fortunately, you can't, you know, cast a 20 CMC walking ballista and deal 10 to the dome in any of the same way, but it does have trample. I think.
2: Oh, come on. Yeah. you played this card. Reach,
1: Reach and Trample. Reach.
2: And pro- Protection
1: from Multicolor.
2: Yeah. yeah, it attacks through a Niv. Yeah, which is real nice. Which is interesting. And it blocks one.
0: Yeah, it does. That's also true.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a sick card. It's really good in the meta right now. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as Ballista, but it's perfectly viable. And the deck has so many other things
2: going on. It's absurdly not as good as as Ballista, but it's that doesn't mean it's not a fine card on its own. I'm also happy to note that I'm starting to see some Elder
1: Gargaroth in the sideboards as well. Makes me feel a little bit good about my prediction. It's going to end up as a green sideboard card, and we're seeing it in other decks as well, in modern even, I think,
2: and Pioneer as a nice way to stabilize the board. Before we go on to the next decks, the top 33% of this metagame are decks running Oath of Nyssa. Discuss. (laughs) It's a very safe, very safe feeling unbanned, Dave. I mean, is that a a problem? I don't think either one of these decks totally relies on that card, but it is a really good card and has a lot of synergy with both decks. I mean, in particular, in Niv, you get to do a lot of fun stuff like uh, pick it back up with Teferi and recast it and things like that. So
0: Bounce it with Yorian.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's just, I think, the best one-minute cantrip in the format. And it, it was before it got banned, and now it is yet again.
2: Does it make you feel unsafe about it? Or do you feel kind of the way I do, which is like, I still think it's fine, even though all these decks are running it.
0: I think it's a nice counter to kind of what Thoughtseize had become, where it's just like this single mana uh, pillar that kind of like dictates a certain category of decks for the format. So maybe this is kind of like leading us to whatever Pioneer's identity is. You have like your Nissa decks, you have your Thoughtseize decks, and maybe we'll have like other categories of decks, you know, today or in the future. I like that insight. Okay.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I think it's going to be re but all the tools that Niv has right now certainly makes it seem very powerful. I think it's less powerful in Mono Green, although it's valuable there and good there. I think it's weird that it's much better late in green than early. I think that might not have been the case early on because you had so many ways to to generate like Nithos mana that Oath was easier to play. I think early on, but now when I play mono green walkers, I want my Oath of Nissa's late to like draw me into gas, like give me something that I can use my mana on. And it's kind of like different than I intended
0: to use it in the first place, is that because your ideal turn one play is, is just always an elf,
1: yeah, like because oath is not ramping you, so yeah it's not it's not like it's not like um casting like I said the other week, it's not like casting once upon a time where you're you know you're getting a land or getting uh a mana Dork that you can then play with your turn one land like it's
2: it's just takes you off early game tempo and ramp tempo,
0: yeah, yeah, unban once upon a time, I agree,
2: oh God, I do miss I literally. Got excited when Shane brought that card up, but I but sad at the same time. I got sad, sad sided. All right. Up
1: next, Mono Black aggro still holding strong at 7%, along with Azoria Spirits at seven. What's cool about Mono Black now is it has a few more sideboard slots to tinker with because it doesn't have to run quite as many like lost legacy style effects in order to deal with combo. So I'm seeing it lean more on um, color hate cards like Lifebane Zombie or a Self-Inflicted Wound or like Noxious Grasp in order to shore up just particular color matchups, which I like. I think it's a strength, it's a strength of the deck that it has uh, the color hate cards that can be found in black without having to be like, well, I need to run three of these, uh, you know. Surgical effects.
0: Yeah, I believe it's called a surgical effect.
1: Yeah, thanks guys. Spirits <laughs> remains pretty much the same. With recent additions of Lofty Lofty Denial, Watcher of the Spheres, Shacklegeist, those are kind of showing up in various numbers in different decks. And Spirit sideboards like mono black look like they're packing a few more pieces of just direct color hate with their newly opened up sideboard slots, which they have a few of now that the combo meta is no longer with us in the same way at least. Spirits is good. Was good, still good. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, and 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 when we looked at the results, I don't think this is spoiling anything, but like it's still predominantly just an Azorius deck. Like the addition of Lofty Denial, so powerful to like these explosive early games. I I think this is like next to black, maybe just the best aggro deck in the format that also gets to be a little disruptive. Yeah,
1: so get out your Shane tokens, run that one sideboard card that generates
2: a, a Shane token, yeah. and everyone's <laughs> happy. You should have been just a human. As things turned out, you should have just been human token instead of spirits, because <laughs> you've espoused so much more love for, for humans than spirits. At this just point. like me, just like me standing,
1: standing there, like just in like a T-shirt, Shane the human. Maybe with like your AeroPress and like. <laughs> My Chemex, Dave. I'm a Chemex guy. Oh, you're a
2: Chemex guy. And then like a a, a, a bowl with some dough bulk fermenting. <laughs>
1: Um, Up next, Saltide Delirium Piles at 6.4%. They're not much different than they have been for a few months. Uh, But now, players don't have to be concerned with getting comboed out. They can deal with pretty much any kind of threat that comes their way if the answers let their hands line up, and they set up their late-game value engines. One thing of note is we are starting to see Pelucranos unchained in a few of these decks. Maybe my prediction that this card will be mildly useful is coming true.
0: These decks... Correct me if I'm wrong. They don't actually have the word delirium anywhere in the 75 anymore.
2: Uh, Traverse. Do they still have Traverse? I've I've seen some that don't have it. Do most still have it? The ones I saw did, but I could be wrong. I mean, this is like Uropile really is what we're talking here, right?
0: Basically. It seems that way, yeah.
1: I think most of them, yeah, you're right. Like not all of them are even running Traverse. So they're called Sulti delirium, but they don't really
2: even leverage it a lot of the times. Old habits die hard. Uro piles just sounds like some kind of uncomfortable weekend. That's what. Like I had, I had something bad on Friday, and now I've got uro piles. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, Naya Wanota up next, four point six percent, tying Lotus Field at four point six. What's interesting about these Naya decks since we last had a whole episode about Naya Wanota? They're adding some more tech pieces to make the deck a little bit more reliable and resilient. One thing I like are these play sets of Tithe Taker instead of Elvish Visionary, which is a one and a white card. Um, it's a like human soldier or something like that. And what it does is it taxes the opponent's mana during your turn, which makes it more challenging for them to use removal or counter spells efficiently
2: when you're trying to stick that Winota. Yeah, I mean, that was a card that you liked on the spoiler episode way back in the day. So nice to see that it's happening.
1: Rabble Master has been replaced with like Garrick's Harbinger, a card that Stan has been standing a little bit. Kenrith, the Return King, seems like he's out of the deck. And a few copies of Pia and Kirin Nalar can be found as well. I think that's cool because that can help with future Winota triggers. And then also you can kind of, you know, you can
2: throw the Thopters or whatever uh, at your opponent for some direct damage if you need to in the end. Yeah, that seems really smart to me because because of what you said. It's a human you can search up with Winota and then next turn you can get some extra triggers.
0: It's kind of like even though it serves a very different role, kind of does a weird impression of Season Pyromancer. Yeah,
2: I was I was thinking it, it does kind of do an impression of uh master. Really? In some ways like it's it's just there for the extra triggers, but it makes sense to me. Lotus Field is like the new combo deck of choice. I thought that this was dead. It's not. And and we did not make a button for this one, and this is the one that survived. So make of that what you will, everyone. Let's just just scribble scribble on your white
1: devotion pins. Something about lotus field. Make make a lotus field joke,
2: and you got yourself a pin. Yeah, a land with hex proof. Who knew it would be so bad?
0: Yeah, the thing that like every other podcast last last week reminded me was that this was a deck before Underworld Breach got printed. Yeah, which was so long ago that who can remember?
1: Yeah, it's basically Pioneer Storm, right? And we saw it, like you said, before Breach was printed. You know, you make a ton of mana with Lotus Field. You cast Granted off of your Fae of Wishes. You get like your huge CMC game winners, like Enter the Infinite, draw your deck, plus your Jace Wield of Mysteries, and win the game. I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert in this deck. I'm sure there's other ways to win that I'm not aware of, but that's kind of like, I think, the go-to when you're making a bajillion mana.
0: Is it less vulnerable to graveyard hate? Is it is D sphere still just like the best hate piece against this deck, do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think D sphere is kind of what you want to go to because you want to stop all the twiddle effects.
0: And without Underworld Breach, like the Graveyard is is just kind of like
1: Don't put me on the spot,
0: Stan. <laughs> I didn't play against this like I did two leagues, never played against Lotus Field once, so I'm trying to remember if like they do anything. I I think it's just like dig through time is kind of like their only graveyard matters spell.
2: Isn't isn't D sphere detention sphere it's not oh yeah damping sphere yeah it's not damping sphere.
0: you boomer whoa
2: (laughs) i mean i must really be a boomer because return to ravnica came out when i was in my early 30s so like (laughs) that must make me a super boomer but (laughs) super boomer super boomer
0: mom i want d-sphere we have d-sphere at home (laughs) i'm just gonna stand by my hastily made assessment that damping sphere is still the answer graveyard hate not so much
1: Bant Spirits is back at 3.7, baby. Uh, not much different than previous iterations of the deck. Sometimes I think you just want that collected company value. I, I mean, in a format with a lot of removal, I guess maybe there's a reason that you could get that comeback. But I think there we did see some other ways of people re- recouping card card advantage and card value
2: in a spicy deck I want to talk about. I mean, yeah, there's that spicy deck. There's also the less spicy one where Azorius Spirits is sometimes running Curious Obsession, occasionally over Lofty main deck and swapping it out for game two if they feel like they need the interaction. But
1: more to come. Azorius Control also at 3.7%. Nothing much new here besides a few random copies of like Shark Typhoon, a
2: few Neutralizes. So glad that Neutralize is finally getting there. It's a good card, Bront. A cancel with Cycling. Yeah, it took it took forever for it to pop up, but here it is. I'm actually kind of surprised
1: not to see more than like a one of Shark Typhoon in a few decks. Um, you know, Neutralize is that handy cancel variant for this deck to have access to. You know, if it's dead or the opponent's playing in fear of your counter, you can cycle it if necessary. Maybe you have a couple rotting. You know, there's always a reason that cycling can be really valuable. Three percent decks, mono black vampires, Jeskai Luca, and the return. Of Is It Phoenix? Stan, Dave, how amped are you to see Is It at a whopping 3%? Paka! <laughs> um, Sky Luka is that Fires of Adventure Planeswalker pile we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, it's that control deck, wants to take over the endgame with Walkers, Agent of Treachery, as Yorian for blinking things. And Is It Phoenix is not really that different. Like only one of the three copies in our metagame sample was even running our new best friend in Stormwing Entity, which I found surprising. I don't know, it's just a Treasure Cruise deck of choice, I guess.
0: I did a league with it. I will share some more insights during the dive down.
2: I did not do a league with it and didn't think it was going to be good. So I'll be really curious to see what Stan has to say.
1: And then our, uh, our other category of two decks or fewer in our representation is 21%. Includes some known entities like SRAM Auras, some Reclamation decks, non-Ozorius control variants, Boros Burn, Gruel Aggro, you Aggro, know, stuff like that. Initial thoughts on this, on this meta?
0: Looks diverse. <laughs> Almost deceptively so.
2: I mean, I feel like it's different but the same. Sort of like we did kind of just lop off the head of the metagame. Yeah. And that's what we were trying to do and seems to have worked. Uh, It's been replaced by a very good mid range deck that wasn't there for a while, but now is back. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's it's kind of it's not what I necessarily anticipated seeing order wise, but it still seems pretty good. I expected mono black aggro, aggro to be a lot higher I guess when I was really thinking about it
1: yeah I'll get to like my I think takes larger takes later but I think the initial thing here is that none of these decks seem unbeatable to me and none of them seem warping to me like everything has strengths and weaknesses and I think that's something that I want to talk about later when we talk about pioneer as a larger format so let's talk about the winner's meta Decks that were in the top eights of the challenges or four went better in the prelims. 34 total in our sample. This is where things get a little bit worse. Five color Niv to Light was first by a mile with 12 decks or 35% of our winner's meta. Next up with that, next up with uh, less than half of that was Azorius Spirits. Five copies, 15%. Mono-G, Walker's just behind that at 12%. Sultide Delirium at 9 And then 10 other decks at one copy or 3% each.
0: So we're looking at a pie chart and pie charts like this scare me. And listen, this is week one. I'm not going to like say anything crazy, but when you see two decks occupy half the pie, like I don't, I don't like that.
2: Yeah. Just to be clear, what Stan is referring to is the fact that in this winner's meta, 50% 50% of the winner's meta is made up of Niv to Light and Azorius Spirits. Exactly 50. Exactly 50. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and you know, Spirits and like Mono Green and Sulti Delirium, those are all a little closer. I think those are all a little bit more realistic in the meta share. Niv to Light um, at 35% is just like stealing a lot of the air out of the room.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think Stan is like, Niv is like a good week one deck because it can just feast on anything that now that doesn't have to worry about combo ending the game early. So it can say like, I don't really care what you're doing. There's a, there's a few things that I think can, can overtake Niv that I want to talk about when we talk about kind of the next steps and stuff like that. But I think right now it's just Niv's like, don't, you can't have fun here. Like you can't, you can't try your wacky thing. You can't try to play control versus me. You can't try to you know, play a, 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 you can't play big red against me. I'm just going to like stop you.
0: I have a prediction. I think Niv is better than just a week one deck. I think it's going to be like a powerhouse for a while until the format shakes up. Maybe even with like the addition of uh, Return to Return to Zendikar. Because, specifically because, Niv is the deck that gets to play the most cards from 2019 and 2020.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with that take. I think Niv is going to be part of our new top tier moving forward but i don't necessarily i, I would be very surprised if the
2: competitive metagame is still like 33 percent niv in uh, even in a week yeah i hope not yeah, i mean what happens to a format where a mid-range deck is the best deck right yep there are ways of attacking that i think it'll churn but yeah certainly if people like me are out there piloting niv people are gonna lo- are gonna win
1: i do want to talk about just a few Cool decks. Uh, Of course, this breakdown has gone on longer than I initially anticipated. I don't want to take too long.
2: Keep it going. There's a lot here to talk about. Double it. Double down. Cool. Yeah, I guess you're right. What else do we have? Double dive down. Simic Spirits. Okay.
1: Rearranged AS. Is that a rearranged aspiring spike? Is that his parachute account? Um, Took this to a 7-2 third place finish in the Sunday showcase. So the big one. Simic Spirits. The core of this deck is like a mono blue spirits slash flyers deck. It has brazen borrower and siren storm tamer. But the simic part is for blossoming defense for protection and I guess aggression if you need it. And two copies of the Amonkhet staple, six cents.
0: Now on MTG arena.
1: (laughs) It's a single green aura. Allows you to draw a card whenever that enchanted creature deals combat damage. So you combine that with your four copies of Curious Obsession. And your flyers are getting in there, drawing you into more cheap threats. I think, as I was mentioning before, Bant Spirits is trying to recoup some potential card disadvantage or remove eat through removal with stuff like Collected Company. This does it a lot more aggressively and a lot more cheaply uh, to get a lot of card draw. And then rearranged also. Finished off a 5-0 league with the deck
2: as well. So they're having some good luck with it. Yeah, I think this is a really cool deck. I mean, the the interesting stuff that you give up, of course, is you give up Spell Queller, you give up um, you give up your Selfless spirit in playing the not playing the white version. You also give up your um your collected companies in this version because this is a really, really low to the ground deck. The top of the curve is Nebel Gas Herald, everything else is smaller than that. Um, but I like the observation that you get to get collected company via these bad enchantments. but I mean, did any of you guys play the the mono blue tempo deck back when it was in standard when our, when arena started? It can work.
0: I'm playing it in historic like on a regular basis right now.
2: Yeah, so I think that there's there's a lot of ideas here from that kind of archetype that makes sense. It's just like, hey, we're gonna try to go fast. With spirits instead of trying to play a little bit of a tempo control valuey kind of game,
0: yeah. I wonder if this deck can either like go back to bling blue white or become mono blue if, say, like we got the original curiosity reprinted into pioneer so that you don't have to like splash green for anything,
2: yeah. I mean, but it's not like you don't want to splash green. Look at the cards that they're splashing for heroic intervention. That's a good card. It's two mana, it protects your whole team from wraths. Shaper's Sanctuary, it's one mana, it lets you draw off of off of removal. Like these are not bad cards on their own. S- the the one that's the worst is Sixth Sense because it's just an inferior version of Curious Obsession uh, ultimately, but
1: Yeah, this green is good because of the meta that we're in, right? Which is you know, Uro piles and Targeted Removal, and Sweepers, and Control Decks, and Niv Decks. So you cast a Heroic
0: Intervention, and you're smiling. Shane, my secret is I'm always smiling. <laughs>
1: Demir Control, aka
0: Inverterless Inverter,
1: <laughs> Senior Tortina, Sir Tortina, they went 6-3 in the Sunday Showcase as well. So they brought just this Kind of demure control ish deck. It has the same cards as Inverter, but instead of like Inverter, Oracle, Jace combo to have no cards in your library, it runs Notion Thief, Narset, Days Undoing combo to make sure your opponent has no cards in their hand. Remember when you played that deck in Modern
0: Stan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't see myself picking this one back up. I do think it's amusing that on Goldfish it's still called. Mirror inverter
2: <laughs> oh it is i'm looking at it right now it says it just says ub but you invert uh, the size of your hand and your opponent's hand i mean cool deck glad to see it uh let's talk about this other deck before we go on because i almost played it this week the as Az- abzan aristocrats yeah list mm-hmm. that got a 4-1 on the prelim before i decided to just play the best deck for this week. This is what I was looking at playing, but I have no idea how to play it. Looking at this pile of cards, I'm just like, what are these cards even?
1: Yeah. Right. Cause it's not doing anything like rally. It has like four boluses Citadel, which is a six mana enchantment that lets you pay life instead of the cost of your spells off the top of your deck. But you can also sacrifice 10 non-land permanents and have your opponents lose 10 life. So I guess the game plan is flood the board with cheap creatures, some tokens. You can, especially if you if you sacrifice a Hangerback Walker, that's pretty big. Uh, you get a lot of tokens off that, and then you can sacrifice all those to Bolas' Citadel to finish things off. That's definitely one way to win the game. Uh, Priest of Forgotten Gods, Zulaport Cutthroat, doing what they always do, causing life loss to the opponent through sacrifice. And I guess you can also just beat down with your go-wide board. So there's a few avenues of attack and ways of causing direct life loss. And I guess that's just how this deck wins.
2: I mean, Liliana, Heretical Healer is a powerful card, really. It's, it's nice to see it have a little bit of a shell here. It's only a two of. And then Rider is a card that can do some work here, too. The woest Rider,
0: Yeah. Straight out of Cat Oven. <laughs> I think the cool thing about Bolas' Citadel is that, like, if you look at this list... It's like, what, 15, almost 20 cards are just like one to two mana. Most of your deck costs two or less mana. So unless you're like running into back-to-back lands on the top of your library, you can kind of just like cast, I think, a bunch of spells in the same turn and maybe like a combo win with Zulaport.
1: For sure. Seems like it definitely has a number of lines to try to get things done. I would briefly want to mention kind of like the Reclamation nonsense decks i i I think they seem pretty good right now if you put all the rec decks together they would have made up about four percent of the meta so they're not exactly terrorizing the leagues or the competitions right now but there's still definitely a presence what they're doing of course is making a lot of mana with will this reclamation and a lot of land drops and then they're using it for things like they were in standard like expansion explosion uh, now, of course, we have giant shark typhoons. We have torrential gear hulks that are flashing back sublime epiphanies. You know, it doesn't matter if your spells are expensive when you got all the mana.
2: Also at Earl. I got to say, it was surprising to me that wreck decks were not more prevalent in this sample. I agree.
0: Totally agreed. Yes. Look at us. Aligned.
2: One of the most broken cards in the format still.
0: Yeah, and playing against it, I felt like when someone resolved Wilderness Reclamation, unless I could win right there, uh, it was just over. It, it's Tron. It's Tron, Jerry.
1: Yeah. The the worst thing is, like when you're not operating at instant speed, and they just tap out for wreck, and then they untap all their lands, and you're like, well, I know they got Conner spells. <laughs>
2: That's fun. I would really be keeping an eye on this deck slash decks like it to make their presence felt because you know
1: all right let's have some conclusions some takes i think the primary one for me is i hope you like uro cuz it was like the most played creature in
2: every premier event that we covered uh in this week tiktok yeah i mean Modern too, friends. Like I, it's definitely on the short list for me for stuff to keep an eye on in both formats right now. Sad to say, we have a
1: question later on this week that makes me not want to go too into this. But Stan, what do you have to say?
0: I think Uro's more of an issue here than in in modern because at least in modern you can like path or surgical.
2: You can keep telling yourself that, but okay.
0: Here you have to put Soul Guide Lantern into your library. What
1: about that claim? That black card everyone's playing.
0: Claim to fame.
1: Cling to dust. Cling to dust. Cling to
0: dust. That's the one. Yeah. That's also good. I mean,
1: and I think obviously you better have a plan for Niv right now. I'm not exactly sure what the plan is because, like previously, when Niv was like the over the top deck, that then forced things like Chonky Red to go back into a more aggressive build. And I think we're going to continue to see that happen with the aggressive decks trying to be low to the ground rather than trying
2: to be competing sort of mid-range decks, but how more low to the ground can we get? I don't think we're going to be low to the ground with our aggressive decks. I think we are going to be in the skies because my take- <laughs> Flying after, over Earl. after Yeah. <laughs> my take after playing Niv for a little bit is that Spirits is actually pretty good against it, yeah. especially with Lofty Denial as part of the package as yeah. well. And so if all your threats fly, you're, you know, your carry adids aren't giving you any incidental value. They feel like literally the worst cards in the world against spirits. So um, once they get shackle guys down and they can tap down your Niv and stuff, it's, I don't think it's an easy matchup now if it ever was. And so we'll see. I mean, Claudio who's the usual pioneer league trophy leader. He's been on Niv
1: for a little while now, and they were stating that Niv is bad versus the combo decks, especially stuff like Je- Jessica Luka. And, you know, they were saying, I think that also that has uh likely, has some weaknesses against like the Lotus Storm decks. I think that Mono Green, the Simic Ramp decks, can likely have good game against it uh, because they can kind of they can go over the over the top. Um, I think we'll see what happens in response to this Niv filled tournament meta in the coming weeks for sure.
0: I love that you know Niv, even though it's five mana for a six six five. Yep, five?
2: six six flyer for five.
0: Yeah, I love that it's like kind of surprisingly easy to kill. Because, like, nox- is it Noxious Grasp? Like, all these random color hosing and cards are good against Niv. Exile, target red creature. <laughs> exactly. And and to me, I think the scariest card in that deck is Teferi. Just because, like, if we're talking about playing, um, like, reactive spells to beat this Niv mid rangey strategy, once they get Teferi down, that plan is kaput.
2: Except with spirits, they just fly over and kill your Teferi, so... I, would, I wouldn't get too far ahead with that either.
1: We're coming for you.
2: <laughs> you know, I have, I have we'll, we'll talk about it more when I talk about my travails of piloting Niv this week. The general lack of like big ramp actually did surprise me
1: because I felt like it was a good candidate to go over the top of nearly everything, especially like the slower controlling decks that people seem to be wanting to test with right now. But, you know, we'll see if that comes, if it comes back, maybe it's just, is not doing enough early on compared to stuff like Mono Green Devotion. Um, we'll see. I think that there are decks that can continue to go even bigger, and I'm curious if they're good enough for people to be testing with at least. And mostly absent are some of our older aggressive decks, like Dredgeless Dredge, Is It In Soul, Green or Golgari
2: Stompy, Boros Feather. Um, Burn or any any version of mono red is completely not here. Yeah, red,
1: yes. Yeah, it's not not very not very popular. Yeah. I mean we saw like one burn deck in the winners meta. Yeah, so now it's we're ton.
0: seeing them in the five O League dumps, but we're just not seeing them put up results in the tournaments. Which is sad.
1: Uh but Mono Green Walkers is back and I'm happy, baby.
2: So yeah, let's do it. Well Phoenix is back and I'm ambivalent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stands like spoilers. Um yeah, I mean Look, we're going to get into this a lot more because really we have kind of a fake break in the show today because we talked about Pioneer Dump here, and we're going to talk more about Pioneer Dump after this because it's a Pioneer Week. But um, I I will say it felt pretty fun to me playing playing these decks. It felt like I I didn't really know what I was going to see in each match that I came into with a high degree of certainty, and might have been just because I've had a little bit of time away from the format, so even the decks that have been around for a minute like uh mono black vampires felt new to play against. So it, it felt a little bit like stepping into something new and interesting to me while I was while I was playing, and that counts for
0: something. Dave, I'm happy you had that experience. I'm excited to hear more about what that was like in the dive down.
1: So yeah, Stan, I'm gonna take us out of this segment. Uh, So yeah, this is the data segment, okay? We got the data here, and then we're gonna head into-
0: The anecdote segment.
1: Our completely seat of the pants, anecdotal playing experience section in the dive down when we talk about what's Pioneer looking like now on the ground. So stay with us. All right, we're back uh, in the dive down today. We're going to pivot from the hard numbers of the breakdown and into an examination of the format from the ground level. And you know, what are people talking about? What does our playtesting felt like? And fundamentally, are we having fun yet?
2: <laughs> <laughs> what a reference apropos of nothing.
1: Yeah, it's just it's party party down. That's that's some extra humor right there.
2: Can I can I give you a, a stat? Associate with Party Down, please. What year did Party Down premiere? Two thousand eleven. No.
0: Oh, I was going to say like
2: oh eight. Closer. It's two thousand nine. So Party Down is more than ten years old. Went off Good the lord. air June twenty fifth, twenty ten. Good lord. I blame Glee. Oh, no, it
1: was fine after she left. It was actually it was actually Parks and Rec that stole Adam, but i'll give him
2: that
0: i don't i i just re-watched it i still think it's super crushable and had a really great ending like it didn't peter out
2: i think it's a show that ended when it should have ended mm-hmm. i think you're right by the way if you don't know what we're talking about the show party down features people from 2009 that ended up being really really good in other shows including jane lynch adam Scott, ken marino is in it lizzie kaplan it's got is in tammy
0: it yes tammy from parks and rec one of the tammy's veronica
2: Veronica mars Kristen bell are you talking about megan Mullally? who was yes he was talking about megan Mullally, who was famous for will and grace anyway
0: (laughs) you mean tammy
2: (laughs) yeah tammy
1: yeah wow an an actual a a, a pop culture digression
2: (laughs) yeah that's rare for us it's not for kids
0: yes that's for sure but it is a good comedy so it's stan stan are you having fun yet you know what i like about party down it has a great pilot like a lot of shows and comedies like you kind of have to get past the first episode but party down just comes out swinging anywho after last week's surprise ban and restricted announcement it didn't take long at all for magic players or us really magic players from all walks of life to start posting their successful decklist to twitter you may recall from last week's episode i I think it made into the final cut that like I immediately jumped into a pioneer league within soul. And at least for the first few days, the meta game felt super wide open and people really began testing to see like what decks or brews or strategies still had legs in this format. When you don't have like these three or four tent pole combo decks, just kind of like setting the terms of engagement. So we saw streamers, pro players, and even your run-of-the-mill grinders quickly begin posting pictures of their 5.0 M2GO lists. And a couple things became immediately clear to me out the gate. First, a handful of very familiar strategies were still going to be super strong. And I think we got a glimpse of that in the breakdown. Like NIV, Black Spirits, they can still hang. But second, I think despite a lot of people's best efforts... There wasn't really actually a ton of space for spicy brews and pet decks to just suddenly emerge in week one. Perhaps with a a little bit more time to iterate, we'll see more of those come out the gate. But in week one, the winner's metagame was just kind of like solved fairly quickly. So we're going to go through a list of questions and topic discussion points um, based on the various decks and, and testing that we did in MTGO um, and, and sort of the stuff we saw within the leagues, sort of the things that we wanted to personally explore and try to make sense of what it felt like being a player in this week one metagame. Um, and really just looking at sort of the Twitter discourse and like the screenshots that people started posting, you know, it didn't take long for people to figure out what Lotus Breach, or not Breach, it's just Lotus Field, what Lotus Field is supposed to look like now.
2: Can, can I, did you just call discussion on Twitter
0: discourse? <laughs>
2: is that maybe, is that too kind?
0: It's more like a broadcast. I think any kind of communication can be described as discourse. Okay. I mean, fair, but... Known players like LSV immediately started tinkering with blue-white control. Sodek was posting his dredgeless list, dredge lists. Uh, I'm just kind of scrolling through screenshots right now, but Shane's aforementioned... Uh, Reference to Claudio with Claudio. five color Niv, a player named Martin Porter, aka Harry 13, quickly uh trophied with Salt Delirium, and even front of the show, Aspiring Spike. Put up two early 5-0's uh with the with his sublime Epiphany Torrential Gear Hulk list, as well as Mono green card.
1: I do want to go back to uh, Harry 13's list because it actually wasn't delirium. So, like we mentioned earlier, it's kind of just like a salty pile. It's more like a salty control deck than a delirium style deck because he's running sensors and some other control uh, neutralizes. So, he's
2: saying, I don't love delirium right now, but I do love salty control. I mean, this says, I love Uro and Nissa, who shakes the world and want to have black for some removal to me. Which is going cool. play good cards in a yeah. mid range deck. Weird.
0: A really strong player named Yan Lee, no relation to your co host Stanley, posted their latest version of Rakdos Graveyard Croaks Mid Range, a deck that I actually tested out a little bit. Maybe I can talk to you a little later. Boros Feather earned an early trophy. The list goes on. But that's what others were playing. What were you guys playing?
2: I decided ultimately to try the best deck or what Shane thought was going to be the best deck, and so I piloted Niv this week. I played the challenge-winning list, piloted by Piper Powell. Congrats to her for the win. Uh it had some interesting things in it that I didn't expect to see in, in Niv that people are trying out, including a full playset of Deathrite Shaman, among some other cards. But uh, yeah, and I think it's... Part of the reason I wanted to play Niv, too, is that it's a little bit of an inside joke for me, because long time dive down fans might re- remember when i did a sleeve believe heave on the original niv deck designed by uh the our friends at faithless looting and i'm pretty sure i gave it a heave <laughs> before i met dan so sorry dan now that it's become a staple of multiple formats uh but we all know that, that that review is what lit the fire for those folks to get started on faithless looting the podcast or faithless Looting the podcast so you're welcome america and the world
0: yeah, so I mentioned I played it and Soul? I, I ran that um, through a league basically on day one of the new meta. I also did a league with it Phoenix, which was a deck that initially I wasn't super excited to play. But then after it started putting up results in preliminaries and the leagues, um, I just kind of figured, why not? And, you know, after bans, on like that first day when the chat was on fire and we're all speculating... And I asked, like, I wonder if Phoenix can make a comeback. And at first, people really convinced me that probably not because the, the spells aren't great in it. And I sort of bought into that. Like, this deck probably isn't going to be super strong in this, like, new Pioneer metagame, even without the combo Menace. Um, but then when I saw it doing well, I was like, well, maybe I can play some cantrips and see what happens.
1: Uh, my testing this week, I did some mono green walkers, some Simic ramp, and some Jeskai Winota. And that's a deck that Andrew Ellenbogen, who's a player I really respect, he wrote about on SCG this week as like a potential sort of meta breaker slash just sheer powerful deck because Winota is a busted card if you can activate it and get it going. And, um, I don't want to dig too deep in this, but his contention was that Naya was a little too all in and that now with the metagame shift into like a more interactive and value format that it should be built differently. And so he just really wanted to make spot removal bad. And so a lot of cards generate multiple bodies. Then they're also triggering Winota and there's protection built into creatures like with selfless savior and all seed of life's bounty. Um, I think it's interesting that he did not include tithe taker. And when all the Naya decks were, and he sort of ran like venerated Loxodon sort of over it. I mean, that's they're very different cards, but I think that looking at Tithe Taker in the Naya deck, I can see the redundancy of the protection effect here. So I can, I think I want to take that for a spin again.
0: So even though um, on our show, we don't usually pay too close attention to our performance with decks just because we tend to test a lot of different stuff to learn how it works rather than maybe master these strategies i'm curious you know in the testing that you guys did and i'll share you know my experiences as well like a how did you do and b did you feel like you were piloting something that could be tier one dave i'm, I'm really curious to hear your experience just because like you played the most popular deck what was perceived as the best deck like did you feel like you had a deck advantage against the people you were playing against?
2: Oh god, no. <laughs> no, I felt like I had a deck disadvantage. Um I But not because of the deck itself, right? No, I did terrible, but also I think that I definitely felt like I was playing a tier 1 deck, but it was with like a tier 5 pilot. That's because that's who I am. And uh you know, I didn't win much in my testing. I just think that Niv is really hard to play and i'm not sure if this is a good spot for me to like hop into some kind of takeaways about why i think it's hard i guess i'll just go for it you know there's so many options in niv you can bring delight for stuff so you can tutor you're going to draw card packages off of off of niv uh niv itself when it comes into play you have to decide when to go for Niv, when not to, when to grab Yorian and bring Yorian in. There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of options, and it's a lot more of a reactive deck than I've played lately. And so I think that was a little bit of a mind shift for me as well. So it's super powerful. I wish I could have done better with it, but um, it definitely felt like a tier one deck. And let's be honest, it's just playing a bunch of really powerful cards, and so it's hard for me to believe that it's not one of the best
0: decks. Shane, did you trophy and not tell us?
1: Trust me, Stan. If I if I
2: ever trophy, I tell you. Um, He's going to get the date tattooed on his arm like I have my wedding date tattooed on my arm. <laughs> hey, I trophy with Mono Black. Don't forget. No, that's right. You did. Yeah.
1: I don't trophy a lot. I also don't play a lot of... I, I honestly don't play a lot of leagues. Because I sort of I sort of I get I get like anxious. Like I play I do what I typically do is like this. I do like a lot of tournament room testing or tournament practice room testing. Then I get frustrated with the decks I'm facing in tournament practice room because I'm getting like really random stuff. And then I go do like one league. So I just I my game my game playing is honestly it's like it's mostly it's mostly like just
2: dipping my toe in, trying to feel things out. Anyway, that's funny. I I'm the literal opposite of that. I play maybe one match in tournament practice, maybe one game sometimes when I pick up a new deck and then I'm just like, ah, it's league time. And then I'll just play leagues and I don't really care how I do in them. I just feel like I learn a lot. I used to be more on that too.
1: I think I need to get back to that because I feel like I'd rather just play more legitimate sort of FNM games like to better talk about my experiences for the audience but a little peek behind the curtain there
2: for the listeners.
1: Yeah, I wasn't blown away by anything I played, but the sample size wasn't huge, even though I, I did try to test a different amount. I think I just tried to go wider rather than taller. I think that each deck had like some really busted starts and matchups that can feel pretty unbeatable. Like Simic Ramp just smushes control and mid-range decks, but it might have some weaknesses against like low to the ground stuff. Because so as to get itself set up and you play like 34 lands. So like sometimes you're just not drawing your threats randomly. Like I, I did have a, I had a matchup where I was 99.8% to have like drawn another threat by now,
2: but I I did not also because I cybered out too many threats. I, I should mention that uh, Niv feels like you draw a ton of lands out of that deck too. I mean, that might've just been me, but I had a similar thing where I was just like getting ramp pieces and not getting threats and that got. Got rough,
1: and Jeskai Winota is like really freaking strong versus most most anything else that's playing to the board. But it's pretty sad when you're facing down stuff like Reclamation, where they're just holding up oodles of counter spells to, to like negate anything that you're trying to play while still tapping out for the Reclamation, and that's pretty frustrating. Even though you're trying to bait out counter spells, they just simply have so many, and anyone who knows what they're doing knows what to counter versus you. And then they're gaining life with uro, multiple uros, and then they take over the game with an uro, and you're just out of luck. And mono green walkers is surprisingly still good. That's my that's my take. But you weren't blown away by it. I mean, it was the second best deck. I'm not. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I know how it plays, right? And it still feels like it plays the same game. It just doesn't have some of the worst, like some of the bad matchups that are out there. I don't. I don't think that. Green Walkers is a it's not like a prison deck like it can be in in like red Karn decks or you know prison based decks might be with uh, Karn were in modern because the tools are just worse and more expensive. So like what I like about it is that it's so flexible and that you can create games where there may not typically be them and you can create paths to victory uh, using your sideboard pieces and your main deck pieces, but a lot of the times, I mean, it's it's not a deck that I think is is over the top like it was when the format started.
2: Do you think it's a tier one though? Oh yeah, I think it's quite good. It's quite good. But Ramp and Winota maybe not tier one.
1: I mean, that's tough. That's tough to say.
2: I think I think Winota is a
1: deck that is hard to build right because the tech. Like so, what Ellen Bogan talked about in his article. Is you know he was putting in Jeskai pieces like Reflector Mage because he's like if the if the game is going to be more to the board and there's more creature decks then I want more Reflector Mages because I want to bounce your creatures, um, or I want to put in some you, you know uh Mantis Rider simply because it's 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 a it's a hasty flying uh, vigilance threat and that's pretty good sometimes, and but he was also saying like hey you're gonna to have to build this deck and choose the humans that this deck can tutor up and the non-humans that are triggering it in a particular way. And I think it's it's not as autopilot and as auto build as people might believe it to be. And I think we talked about that a little bit in our episode of a month or so ago at this point. But I think that now we have a new meta and there's new ways to look at building that
0: deck. Stan? Yeah, so I felt like my decks were okay. Uh, in different ways though my two leagues with each deck really mirrored one another so across 10 matches i played nine different decks but in both leagues i played against mono black and in both both leagues i did beat mono black um in soul i didn't feel was tier one like at all and part of that may be just the need to like refine the list a little bit to the meta i wasn't playing main deck Counter spells. I was kind of just like all in on aggression, and my only burn spell was Shrapnel Blast. Um, but it just didn't feel like it had the most aggressive starts to be good, nor did it feel like it had the resilience to kind of get past some of the mid-ranger control strategies out there. Uh, like I said, like when someone casts a wilderness reclamation, or even maybe like one supreme verdict it just never really felt like i could come back and and like some of these decks are running emery to to kind of help with that resilience a little a bit but you know emery of course super vulnerable to removal as well kind of a lightning rod in that regard so finding ways to just kind of like put together the best build of Insole, i think is part of the challenge and in fact in today's 5-0 deck dumps someone trophied with the blue white version again that was uh, running the Companion.
2: Yeah, it runs all the Glitters and Luris, probably, right?
0: Yeah, and, and I wonder if that might be just a better strategy right now. Just like, I'm not sure why that deck sort of disappeared after the Companion era. It kind of felt like it had some powerful tech within it. That being said, I was a little bit more impressed with it Phoenix, specifically because I was really impressed with Young Pyromancer. And I kind of came to this conclusion that... It's a young pyromancer deck that also gets to play these phoenixes. But the strongest thing you could do with that deck is just flood the board with tokens. Because young pyromancer, a really great way to, like, I don't know, generate two for ones. Or really threaten, pressure your opponent to either just, like, if you don't have a wrath, I'm going to take over. Because I'm going to make several tokens every turn. It was easier to enable pyromancer than it was to enable phoenix. Also, the version I played had Stormwing, which I thought was pretty cool, though not nearly as cool as it is in modern. Like, in modern, Stormwing is a two-drop. In Pioneer, at best, it's a three-drop.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm excited and surprised to hear you say that about Phoenix. Also, specifically about Young Pyromancer, because that always feels kind of meh to me. But it definitely is the type of deck I like. And so I'm 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 going to go take a look at it again.
0: Yeah, I mean the issue here is that you just don't have a lot of one mana spells in general. So like getting your phoenixes spells are bad. Spells are bad in pioneer. Getting your phoenixes out of the graveyard takes some work and it's easier to do it on like turns 4 and 5 than on turn 3. Are we are we playing crash through in this deck? Nope. Nope, so we're opt? Opt, shock
2: and <laughs> like that's it. But what can't so there's it's just opt for cantrips basically.
0: Yeah, I mean you have um uh, your is it charm? You have like a bunch of two mana, like chart a course and strategic planning effects, which are both cantripping enablers. Chart a course with young pyromancer, by the way, like part of what made I think young pyromancer shine for me is how easy it makes it to enable chart a course as a two mana draw two, and I thought that was super important because you don't feel bad throwing away a token. Like even if you know it's gonna just die by being blocked by a two two, because you've already generated some value off of the the young pyromancer. Is this running thing in the ice or no? No, so that's the point. Like you're replacing thing in the ice with pyromancer. Got it. And I think that is maybe a meta dependent decision as well.
2: Because can I interest you in of one mind?
0: You yeah. can. You can. And and I've really thought about that. The the hard thing about of one mind is that you need to have gained a little bit of value off of Pyromancer before Of One Mind is good. Yeah. But I think this deck has the tools to make that happen.
2: All right, this has been Phoenix Corner. <laughs> Maybe we'll have some more later. It's, but it's, uh, it's
0: like right where we started. You know, yeah. can I just throw out here, I did play a game against Shane while he was on Winota and I was on Phoenix. And that was a matchup where I was like, I wish I had Thing in the Ice now just because my opponent's casting 20 creatures. but yeah
2: that seemed seemed pretty lopsided yeah Yeah, you're like these dave tokens are doing nothing for me
0: but in almost every other situation i was really impressed with pyromancer almost to the point where i was like do we even need phoenixes here can we just find like a way to play blue red spells with pyromancer and like some maybe prowess creatures to actually do the thing Uh, i'm sure you can anyway so i mentioned the matchups i saw nine different decks across two leagues I'd love to hear just a sample of what you guys faced um, because my matchups were spicier toward the beginning of the week than they were later in the week. Cause the first deck I played against was soul flare in that first league. I got to play against like mono red prowess, red green stompy. Um, and then in the second league is when people were starting to pull out like reclamation and blue white control and niff to light against me. Yeah.
1: I, I did see a few strange things in the tournament practice room or things that didn't seem particularly top tier. Like I saw, I ran up against like a Demir mill deck and a Jeskai sort of cycling control deck for instance. But I also did face down like some of the powerful decks you mentioned, like Simic reclamation, a uh, green walkers, Azorius control as well. So people st- like definitely were, I think, testing out a few ideas they may have had in their back pocket or, or things they saw elsewhere. Um, but yeah, people were definitely flocking, I think to be like, well, is this powerful enough now that I don't have to worry about
2: inverter or worry about Lotus breach? I mean, I actually feel like I saw a lot of aggro decks when I was playing, which I, you know, might've been a little bit of a pain point for, for my playing Niv, but uh, I played against blue white spirits a number of times. I played against black-white auras. I played against uh, mono-black vampires, which I originally thought was going to be mono-black, just aggro. But then turned out that they had that, um, I forget the name of it, the one that draws cards and all that kind of stuff. The four, four, 4 five, that, it's called like Night of Dusk or something like that. Anyway, so there was some pain going on there. I, I played against a g- interesting green ramp deck that I never quite saw what was going on there. It was just mono green with um this Bonder's sanctuary, I think, to like draw cards and was oh, it was actually really it was kind of like mono green ramp plus mutate that someone was trying to make happen, which I, I give a lot of props to them for that. In particular, there's a card card called Gem Razor. I think it's called that's what it's called, and it's basically a three-mana four-four, which is not bad if you're uh, trying to get ahead with some stuff there. So, I felt like I played against a bunch of aggro decks. I did also play against blue white control one time, and that felt uh, that was pretty good too. I mean, Shark Typhoon—it's a good card. I had it cast against me for the first time in in the the match that I played, and I was like, wow, they have five shark tokens now.
0: Yes, I played against blue white control as well. Equally super impressed with it, and really impressed that they were just able to like. Cast the enchantment side of Shark Typhoon, and then cast a two mana Dig Through Time. Right, so they have an eight eight. <laughs> yeah, they have an eight eight, and they just refilled their hand with whatever cards they need for the matchup. It, it just felt broken.
1: You know what was uh, brutal to have Shark Typhoon cast against you when you were playing versus was Simic Reclamation because they got a lot of spells. And yeah, I, I the Simic Reclamation stabilized against me playing Jeskai Wanota at one multiple times. And then they just get a few spells to get some shark blockers, they cast like 3 euros into the graveyard and then back out and they don't even care the legendary gets triggered, a lot of life gain, a lot of stabilization power.
0: What else was really powerful that you saw? And any surprises that kind of blew you away?
2: No, I'm into it. I mean, I'm just going to keep banging the drum blue white spirits is probably the next thing I'm going to go to in pioneer because it just feels more like my style of deck. It's got good enough play it's got options to play at instant speed or not you know everything that's been good about spirits for a long time is seems to be even better and now it has a good you know just having access to what's essentially mana leak in this format seems pretty good out of this deck so
0: it's better than mana leak they have to pay four yeah yeah it's mana
2: beak (laughs) okay dave it is i know it's mana beak but but uh, you know i was really impressed with the deck and i would definitely like to try it next
0: yeah it beat me up as well We'd mentioned how we're kind of in this moment in the metagame where people have been exploring a little bit. What else did you guys see that you felt was like underpowered that you think maybe is kind of like some of the the trap directions that people might go in? Because for instance, you know, the first matchup I played against was Soul Flayer and it just felt like as soon as I brought out any kind of graveyard hate, like Soul Flayer couldn't do anything. Um, likewise, in one league, when I was doing my Phoenix League, someone played Green Black Elves against me and like horrible matchup historically even in modern when is it phoenix was a deck there but just like as much as i love testing out elves anytime a format has any changes like i still didn't really see that that deck had a there there anything you guys want to punch down at
1: (laughs) man that's a good question i think that yeah i would agree that i saw some streamers playing as soul flare decks and it's those are just kind of the the feast or famine decks that are easier to hate out than others. Like if I'm playing a deck like that, then I might just play like Winota where it's like, Hey, if you don't interact with my Winota, you're likely going to die. Whereas Soulflare has just an easy area of attack in the graveyard altogether. Right. And doesn't really have good ways to protect against losing its graveyard in a lot of ways. But yeah, there's nothing that I was just like, you yeah, know, this is terrible in terms of like, legitimate decks that you know people were had already been playing or were testing to make a comeback or something like that but again i think that my sample size in terms of playing a lot of games versus a lot of people playing like decks that they were hoping were were back or you know tier two or tier one is not super huge
2: i mean niv seemed kind of underpowered wait <laughs> <laughs> only when you were playing it It's my fault yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry niv <laughs> it's my fault i i I don't know if I'm going to, you know, I still have that deck rented. There's a chance that I will go back and try it again just because I don't often play the best deck in a format or the number one meta deck in a format, but it feels like I could learn some stuff by trying to pilot this deck for a while. So I might just kind of crash a couple of leagues together with it and see how it goes. I don't know, you guys ever do that? Lose for the sake of losing? What just like
1: just keep just keep jamming your, your head just bang your head against the wall, try to learn something?
2: Yeah, just like a deck that's not totally your style. Everybody else seems to love it, and you're just like, I'm gonna hop in and try to figure out what makes this tick.
0: No, only only if I'm doing a deck dive for the show will I actually want to run back a deck that I do not enjoy. My time is precious, dude.
2: Yeah. I mean it is it is like a hard motivation when you're playing to be like, hey. Uh, I'm going to spend time just losing for fun until I figure out what makes this tick. I mostly want to figure out how to get good at playing Uro, I guess, and this seems like a good place to do it. Did you guys see any combo decks? I did not run into any. No. Same.
1: Stan, were there any decks that you were hoping that would feel more powerful than they did, like that you played with or against?
0: I mean, of course I was hoping in Soul would be stronger just because it's like this... Beloved deck of mine. Um, and I think making five five indestructible lands should be like a bigger deal than it is. But I, I felt like there was an issue with the the most powerful strategies doing things that like I couldn't compete with. And it sort of felt like the the terms of engagement, so to speak, have kind of been redefined in Pioneer. And um, if anything, I maybe just felt like the tier one decks were way stronger than what I was trying to do with decks that felt closer to pet decks.
1: Yeah, like the new the new tier one is the best cards going over the top with the most mana and the most value yeah.
0: right now. Yes, yes. Although
1: that's really only one deck in the top, right? This, the Simic decks, the Model Green decks, the Simic decks, the Saltide decks... The blue white control makes a ton of mana. Like it's going late in the game. Yeah. The rec decks, the control decks, like it's all about, I mean, like right now, which I think is smart and kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but I think right now it's like, Hey, how can I stop people who are trying to do something silly Mm -hmm. and just play good cards? Mm -hmm. And that's so typically I would say like in a new format, like a brand new standard format, a lot of times it's best to go fast. And I think the fast decks, are the ones that people already knew and had iterated on and had tried to make them fast enough to beat combo decks. And they're not as good as the modern aggressive decks, right? And they don't offer the same level of disruption besides maybe mono black. And so if you're saying, hey, I can deal with a few thought seizes and I can deal with a few recursive black creatures because now I have many different ways to stabilize a game against these types of decks and they're known entities, I'm just going to play my Niv deck. And beat up on almost every aggressive
2: deck I can. Although I lost to all the aggressive decks I played, but maybe maybe that's my fault. I think it's, I mean, I remember when we tested Niv a long
1: time ago, and I think it's definitely one of those things where it's like, it's like playing control, which is like, what do I care about right now? And what do I care about next turn? And like, how do I use my cards to their greatest value? And it's so hard for me, especially because I'm just not great at those style of decks
0: here here's here's a feeling i had i kept thinking about how powerful tier one was versus what i was doing okay and and we kind of like listed off what some of the week one tier one decks are niv reclamation mono green it, it's really decks that get to leverage lots of mana rather than the decks that try to like go fast and and, and get you dead that could change i mean it, spirits is maybe the outlier yeah
1: spirits is there mono black still there maybe low tier one.
0: I kind of felt like the delta between tier one and everything else was more of a a burden than maybe what I'm used to playing in modern. Where in modern, like the old cards can sometimes keep up with the new cards. Whereas in Pioneer, you know, I mentioned Niv gets to play like all the 2019 and 2020 cards, like Return to Ravnica up until... War of the Spark, like it's just not doing things at the same power level as what we've seen from War of the Spark onward. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's tough. I mean, I didn't I didn't have that
2: experience, but I was on a deck that was of the same power level, you know, even though it wasn't good, like I said. But um <laughs> it's I, I don't know if that disparity, if I'm seeing that disparity quite yet. I think I just have to play some more. I also think that this is very it's very early in this development of what's going on right now. And so I believe deep down that there's like a mono red deck that is going to make sense. You know what I mean? I know there's a lot of Earl running around and maybe that's, what's really holding it down. But I feel like there's going to be a deck like that, that makes sense a little bit more than it does right now. I think the rack deck is going to get solved in a way that either we'll be okay with or hate fervently. Um, I, it also felt like there's a good number of decks in that top tier, And so maybe it's just more about deck selection there. The main thing is I enjoyed playing these games because it didn't feel like I had to establish or disrupt something by turn three in order to not just die, you know? And so that felt like a nice, refreshing experience in itself.
1: Yeah. I mean, Stan, it kind of sounds like you're sort of asking the question, like, did we have fun? And is the format fun? And
0: are you having fun yet, Shane?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it feels like a fun format because, like Dave said, is like I don't necessarily need to have a potentially narrow answer from my sideboard to like stop what my opponent's doing super early on. And that's typically like one of my go-tos for like fun in a format, because I don't like feeling helpless in a particular matchup. And that's one of the issues that I think that modern still can fall into from time to time. I I do want to take like a little Digression, though, like, let's talk about fun in magic, because I want to know what you two think makes something fun in magic. And I'm going to go first just just because I'm talking. okay. And like, for me, I want my decisions to matter. And that sort of like means interactive magic in quotes. And for me, interactivity is meaning like we're both to uh, both attempting to generate game states where then we can press our advantage to a win and I understand that combo decks can do similar things and they can even feel interactive. I'm not entirely anti combo, but I feel like the issue I mentioned before, which is like there are these different combo decks that have different means of interact inter- interacting with their combo could be frustrating because like you had to account for them in different ways. And I also think it's important that every deck has exploitable strengths and weaknesses. And that leads to nothing having like that strong hold on the meta and requires decks to like metagame around it, which I think is something that we uh, mentioned as particularly with Demir Inverter as a problem. And then like Dave said, I think that leads to like a more dynamic metagame because players can then try to outflank each other with like the right deck choice or the right tech choices in that deck and then also having the right game plan in mind. And for me, that's kind of like the, the fundamentals of fun. And I'm curious if you guys have different ideas or things that I overlooked that you consider much
2: more fundamental to fun. Well, I mean, a sup- unsurprisingly cerebral take on fun from Shane. There. Oh man, got me <laughs> again. <laughs> let me let me give you my four quadrant theory on fun. <laughs> it's the F U N S theory. Yeah.
0: Friends, unlimited. Friends.
2: Right. Stan, you want to go next? No combo.
0: So I think that's a really great way to sort of deconstruct fun in, in almost like an empirical way. Like all those things. do The most fun thing in the world. Well, deconstructing things
2: empirically. Yeah, I,
0: <laughs> listen, if if you nerd out about Excel sheets, yes.
2: I mean, we do this podcast where we break things down. Every We essentially do this podcast for fun. And it's all about breaking things down with incredible details. So. I,
0: I, I can't uh, argue with any of the points you made, Shane. I, I think all those things do contribute to what is fun. And I think something that I'm wrestling with this week and sort of was kind of forced to wrestle with as we were diving into Pioneer is that my definition of fun is very much connected to specific, like, cards and decks that I enjoy playing and cards that I enjoy casting. And, like my most fun experiences and really like the memories that I look back on as being really fun times playing magic that are really prevalent in modern is I think directly proportional to how much time I've spent playing modern and the reason maybe I had a little bit less fun here is that pioneer is kind of demonstrating that it's got its own like card pool and identity and the things that I like about other formats May not exist here, or if they do exist, they kind of exist in a different form, and the way to play like a young pyromancer spells deck might not be blue red it might be red, black, or the way to play the way to play like um kind of a disruptive aggro deck might not be like counter blue counters red, blue blue red. red. <laughs> yeah <it laughs> might be, yes, yeah. be blue white spirits, <laughs> and it's kind of just like a matter of coming to terms with the things that I do find fun about magic and the specific strategies that are the most fun for me and and sort of accepting the fact that they're they're gonna look very different in Pioneer than they they look elsewhere.
2: Yeah, I can get that too. I I will say while I was playing some of these games, I was sitting there a couple of times being like, Pioneer feels a little mopey to me sometimes when I'm playing the games. I'm like, it feels a little like you're playing and then all of a sudden you're like, is this this card is constructed playable? but it still beats you you know which is fine um here's what i think a magic is always fun and and if it's not always fun i think you need to think about why you are playing magic that is the number 1 thing i think for me at this point in my um existence as a magic player is I want my experiences to align with the goals that I ha- have for playing Magic. And for me, my goal for playing Magic is twofold. One is to relax. <laughs> and the other one is to learn about the eccentricities of this wonderful system of you know, framework for a game that has been designed and just see what's going on in the environment right now to like learn about and a, and be an observer of that, it's not like the most spiky thing to say, because I, I still am big on like, you know, I net deck, I'm a net deck person. I'm not a deck designer. I don't enjoy that part of magic. But for me, it's just like, what has this done to the environment? What does that done to the environment? And how can I learn how to get just a little bit better every time I sit down and play? And that for me is fun because that's something that I can take to other parts of my life. You know, I can take incremental improvements or thinking about probabilities or thinking about ways that people made changes in design, card design philosophy that led to this massive change within the system. That stuff is fun for me.
1: And I can't wait to (laughs) timestamp Dave's thoughtful breakdown of magic and why he plays it.
2: And fun.
0: Yes. Dave's definition of fun, 133.16.
2: But relax. that's that's what's fun for me. Just play the games. I mean, Hey, that's the type of reasoning that you can use to like, excuse the way that pioneer was, but you know, mostly I think people were frustrated by it because they were not having a varied experience where they felt like they were learning anything anymore. So
0: do you guys agree or disagree with my kind of early small sample size assessment that in pioneer, you're going to have a hard time keeping up unless you're playing like the last year of cards.
1: I think so. I I agree with that. And I also don't. And I want to talk about kind of the don't a little bit later. I I do think that there aren't as many very good decks as there are in modern, but there are also worse cards. And there are pros and cons to that. The fact that the card pool is, on the whole, weaker um, is both a feature and a bug of the format. And You know, like like you said, if if you want to play a particular deck in a particular way and you just don't have access to those cards in Pioneer, then yeah, like you said, you can be frustrated, or you can say, is there a deck that's like that in Pioneer, or is there a deck that I like playing that's just different? Like in Modern, I wasn't like a big I wasn't like flocking to Mono Red Prison. Like I wasn't I wasn't Zach. Do you know what I mean? Like I enjoyed playing it when we tested it, but it wasn't my go-to deck. But in Pioneer, I do enjoy kind of the combination of flexible wishboarding, somewhat prisony elements of the ramp slash walker strategy that Mono Green Walkers gives me. And so I'm not saying, hey, Stan, just find the deck for you. That's also good. I think it's just a matter of like, that's the reality of the situation, right? It's like engaging with each format in the way that you have to because of the card pool available
0: to you. So let me know if this is more feels than reels. Okay, feel free to challenge me here, but I kind of walked away from the week one metagame feeling like you have this tier one, which is, you know, five to ten decks, give or take. Uro. Sure. Uro, Oath of Nissa, and... Spirits. Lofty Denial. Mono Black, yeah. Okay, so you have the sliver of tier one, and then you have tier three, and like, that was it. And that was kind of what I was referring to, the delta between like tier one and everything else, and... I think one of the things that makes modern fun for me is that you have this like wide breadth of what's in tier two, like humans may not ever, or may not be in tier one all the time, but like humans, Tron, Grixis Shadow will always probably be like at least a tier two deck where I felt like in this early stage of post-band Pioneer you didn't really have like access to as many tier two strategies. You kind of had like the pet decks and then the decks that were here to play.
1: I do think that the decks that are here to play, like I said earlier, are not always going to be that. Like, I think that, I think the meta is more attackable than it was during the combo meta. And I think that we'll
2: see the churn, like Dave said. Yeah. I mean, of course you have to keep in mind, there's, twice as many cards at least in modern as there are in pioneer. And there is a noticeable dip in the power level from where Pioneer starts to now that modern um modern has some other stuff in it. You know what I mean? Like it has all of the Mirrodin sets have broken cards in one form or another. You know, it has Frexian mana. It has zero casting cost spells. Like it has suspend cards. Like there's all these things that for that new world order kind of prime time time of that design, that's where Pioneer coincides with where it started. And so that's part of the that is part of the reason that I mean most formats these days are like you got to be playing a lot of 2019, 2020 cards in them to be successful. But Pioneer has it the worst because the cards that were coming out seven years ago were quite a bit less powerful than than the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not here to say that Pioneer needs Bolt and Path, but it's sort of weird for me to like reconcile this notion that the game designers say that Bolt and Path may be too strong for Standard or too strong for Pioneer.
2: Or Historic, for that matter, where they were sort of printed into it and then banned. Right. Sort of.
0: It, but then we're dealing with like these threats that require that type of efficient removal to kind of keep up. And that's sort of what makes some of those like older, modern cards remain relevant is because they actually can like be leveraged against some of the stuff that's happening today
2: yeah i i have a a slightly different hypothesis that i i would run by you stan which is that the reason that there is a wider tier two in modern is because more of those decks can kill you on turn three like a blood moon deck can randomly kill you on turn three if they play or turn two or turn one if they cheat out blood moon you know ad nauseum you know, like there are all these weird combo decks that can kill you really efficiently that put a little bit of pressure on the top tier of decks to at least be ready to face them or at least reward pilot knowledge of how those decks, those weird decks work. And that is something that's definitely different about Modern Between Pioneer is that there are these decks that are just these linear broken strategies that they're not always good broadly, but if you're not prepared for them or don't understand how they work, you can still lose very fast. Seems like that doesn't exist in pioneer as much. For sure. A question I want to ask
1: both of you though, is do you think the format is healthier now than it was the last
2: time that we were talking about it in this level of depth? I mean, the most popular deck plays utter end. (laughs) (laughs) that's a good baseline okay like i do think that that says something about format health in a weird way like um so my short answer would be yes we'll
0: see where it goes but what what is format health anymore like
1: it's this is this is a this is a non-objective question it's like do you think it's
0: healthier i i don't think it doesn't need any more bands right that's a double negative but like To me, a healthy format is one where it's like everything is in its right place. Everyone's listening to Radiohead and it just kind of feels like everybody has game. And I think the format is just kind of like skewed in a slightly different direction, but maybe that direction is one that like is more tenable for players, more engaging for like, for the people who enjoy Pioneer and kind of makes other decks viable. So I I think the, the definition of format health kind of depends on a case-by-case basis. And I'm not sure if this were the case in Modern, like we would say that this was healthy, but maybe it's okay for Pioneer. My answer is yes.
1: (laughs) It sounds like you're saying, Stan, that you don't think that these top-tier decks have like exploitable assets to them, or exploitable aspects at least, that uh, allow them to be metagamed against. And I, I think they very much do, all of them. Yeah, they probably do. What do you think needs to be banned?
0: Anything? Either of you guys, I, th- I think reclamation has just kind of continued to prove itself to be a problem in like a lot of strategies that have smaller card pools, and like if Sahili Cat was too strong for Standard and thus too strong for Pioneer, I think the same will likely end up being true for reclamation.
1: And there's like there's not a lot of reason to have it be legal, right? Like it's like who, what play style, like what player is. Really needing reclamation to be around for, like, to really engage with magic successfully, and like, what is
2: it really doing to the health of the format? I don't think it does a lot, right? I mean, it's just a payoff for a control strategy, right? It's a really powerful one that sets, takes your control deck and pushes it into overdrive. And so, the, I mean, people like that should have strategy cards that make their strategy powerful but maybe something like shark typhoon is enough
0: yeah yeah it's it's weird that to me reclamation almost feels like both a payoff and an enabler like it, it it's the point you're trying to reach and then once you reach that point you get to do like all these other crazy things with it
2: yeah yeah well that i mean that sounds like a control plan
0: yeah right yeah, yeah.
2: how do i how do i win in the long term well i get to use
0: my resources more than you do shane do you, do you think there's anything else that might be uh on the watch list at least?
2: I mean, let's let's talk about the Titan in the room. <laughs> yeah, I mean Uro's on the watch list for every format that it's that it's in. There's no way it's not.
1: I mean we got a we got a cool question from Mickey that we kinda uh foreshadowed earlier. And it's do you think Uro makes red-based aggro decks? And I would kind of widen that to be most aggro decks, unplayable right now. And yeah, like so. What do you think? Like, do you think Uro has like a healthy role in Pioneer? Like, does it have a healthy impact on the metagame?
0: It's crazy that it's still really easy to escape Uro, even in a format with just like one fetch land.
2: I, yeah, I don't think it's that easy to do it, honestly. Like, I found myself, it's not like you can cast it multiple times, mm-hmm. escape it multiple times. I felt like I really only got to do it in deck like once. Or maybe twice. So it's really, it's not quite as recursive as it feels like it could be. And definitely in mo- modern, where it's just kind of like, whenever you want Uro back, you can get it. Um, so I do think it's a little hard still, especially with so many strategies that have that play permanence to the board. And then you're, because of the play style, your permanence don't necessarily die. So you're not really feeding your graveyard. But uh, I think that. Like I said, I think it's just on the watch list for everything right now because it's just almost like too good. I mean, there's people talking about whether they should play Uro in legacy, you know, over um, you know, over Oko and stuff like that. And people were just talking about it in our chat today. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's a card that is viable in every format that exists. And as such, you gotta keep an eye on it, especially in these this format where it's a very middling power level.
1: My, think my thoughts about Uro is that it can it's just really cheap at 3 mana to do what it's doing in terms of the life gain and the ramp so even if you're not necessarily escaping it 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 does a lot for what it is and then it offers that eventuality of that same spell to be cast back out of the graveyard and then it's for red decks especially it's almost impossible for the decks to to remove it if it ever hits the battlefield. And you have to get something like a Tormod's crypt or that uh weird wand, still so got the weird lantern, and maybe get that out of there. But yeah, it's a it's a tough card for red decks, especially to manage. So it does sound like I'm saying like it might be too good. And it might be. It might be too good. Yeah.
0: The thing. The thing that I don't like about like Simic Reclamation specifically is that it gets to play both Uro and Dig Through Time. And I think the format would feel a little healthier if that was sort of a decision you had to make. Like, do I get to play delve spells or do I get to play escape spells? And if you're doing both in a format that technically doesn't have fetch lands, like, I, th- I think that could spell problematic given enough time.
2: Well, it's interesting that that deck only plays 2 of each because they know they can't overcommit to taxing the graveyard
0: like that. So, And and to play my own devil's advocate, like reclamation makes it possible for you to cast dig without delving. So, Right.
2: Still only a two of.
0: You know, I don't, wanna, I don't want you guys or our, our friends and fans to think that, like, I hate Pioneer or that I'm super negative on this episode. I think it's just kind of like I need a little bit more time to, like, build a relationship with the format and, and really find a place to kind of, like, express myself through a deck, which is something that, like, took a while in Modern and then I got there. And now there's, like, a lot of decks that do that for me in Modern. And, like, perhaps eventually we'll get there with Pio as well. I just don't ever want to feel like my pet deck is suddenly just like unplayable and not because of a band, but because like everything else is just so much more powerful.
2: Yeah. Should we go on to some other, we got some other listener questions, do it. right?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, Jason asked a nice one, whether we think pioneer might benefit from having like common modern cards, like bolt pass and a decent counterspell, and whether keeping these cards, you know, within modern sort of ensures that the formats have different feels. And we sort of talked about those cards relative to like Uro, but do you think maybe they do have a home here?
2: I mean, just to be clear, those cards do not keep Uro from being very, very good and potentially problematic in modern as well. So like, let's not think that like path is really a solve for Uro. It just puts some sideways pressure on the card. Um, I think I've mentioned before that I feel like, better one cmc removal in different colors would be nice i don't know if it's necessarily bolt and path but i do think we need some more one mana spells in pioneer the problem is if you make them too good they might break modern because then all of a sudden you have tons of one mana spells in modern
0: so it's something to think about but
2: yeah i think they would be fine
0: all in i think some counter spells would be better than others like mana leak and remand they seem a OK for Pioneer, uh, Cryptic Command.
1: Remand. Remand is not a counterspell. Remand is a combo enabler. You know what I mean? Like Remand is not like I think I'd, I'm not not laying into Jason here because I've said the same <laughs> thing to anyone who's talked about. Yeah, land of me. Everyone has talked about like I want a decent counterspell in Pioneer. It's like what what when they say that, what do they want? Do they want Logic Not? Like because that's the only like good wh- like highly played counterspell in Modern. That we don't really have access to in Pioneer, in my opinion. Like, like you you did mention mana leak. Mana leak is not very popular right now. You did mention remand. Remand is popular in certain styles of decks and counter counter like Azorius Control would not be playing remand, I don't think, because they're not setting up like a combo based win. So, I mean, you already get dig through time, Jason. Well, what more do you want in Azorius Control in in uh, in Pioneer?
2: I I will admit I think that the counterspell thing is much less problematic. Yeah, or the cheap answers. White 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 and red sort of aren't quite there. I, yeah,
1: I do think there are issues. I, I would what I would want is like an instant speed declaration in stone. Like declaration in stone is so close, but it's not. Like what's the what's the white. One of the white card from Modern Horizons. Winds of Abandon. Yeah, that is like, I think, a perfect Pioneer power level. I really wish that wasn't Pioneer. I think Mm -hmm. that's a sorcery, though. I think so, too. But it's like it it has more of a late game and less of a downside than like Declaration Stone
2: does. Yeah, and what you're asking for specifically is that it hits multiple targets sometimes. Yeah. Because that's what Declaration does. Because we already have Seal Away, which does some things and then we also have glass casket which does some things and those are both two cmc answers also so um you you wanted to be able to scale like d sphere a little bit the the real d sphere i mean i
1: I don't really know what i what i want it's like it's like i'm trying to think of what are cheap answers that aren't bolt and path right because i do feel like path would be too good i think bolt would be too good but what is like something similar but not the same And it's really hard because like the difference between one and two mana is so huge. So what can you do with
2: one mana? Wizards light. Yeah. I mean, play some wizards. I mean, we have that, but I don't know. All right. Next question.
0: Dom asked, what would we play if there was a GP this week? What would you guys play in earnest? Like, I don't want, I don't want Dave to say that he would play Niphtalite because I don't think Dave would be playing Niphtalite if he wanted to win the GP.
2: No. So in Pioneer, I would definitely be playing some variant of Spirits. It's the deck I've played the most. It is reasonably good right now. Um, Stan and I have to play the last match of a Pioneer dive-down tournament where we're both on Spirits. Uh, But I would be playing Spirits, probably Blue-White, Lofty Denial, Mana Beak, all that stuff. And I would be excited to do it, honestly. Like, if, if we had decided to go to a GP and... In that alternate reality, we were all coming to Shane's house this weekend to do that. I would be totally excited to play Spirits right now.
1: I'll give you one guess what I'd play, and it's Mono Green Walkers.
2: Yeah, I mean, we played it. We Shane played his deck this week. He's tried it a bunch of times. He's always liked it. Tried it this week. It's better than ever. It's what we're doing.
0: You know what I think I might play? I don't think you could guess.
2: Hmm. Is it in Soul Boros Feather? That's definitely not a stand deck after last week.
0: I played one practice room match with, I f- like, I've been meaning to do this for months now, but I finally got to play a practice room match with the Rakdos Pyromancer Unearth deck in Pioneer. And that was probably, like, the closest I'd come to feeling like I was doing what I love to do, which is casting lots of spells for value. W- w- lots of one-mana spells.
2: You don't mean Unearth, you mean Claim Fame.
0: Yeah, it well it also has like Call of the Death Dweller, but like Village Rights. K command. Yeah, like Village Rights being this amazing one mana cantrip. Just give it to me. Um I want to play that deck a little bit more. I can see myself kind of falling in love with it.
2: See, it's not that far away. You just need to you just need to get a little better or maybe be positioned in the meta better and you'll be even happier.
0: Listen, my my buddy Yan Lee. Yeah.
2: He, yeah. We all know we. You talk about Yanli every week. We know
0: not. Not your. They know what's up.
1: I hold on. We have we have a few minutes. I think I like this question Grant asks. Um, Do you think Pioneer will still be played when paper tournaments or events come back, or has the damage to the community been too permanent for players to come back to the format? Also, as a follow up, do you think Wizards will continue to monitor the Pioneer meta to cultivate a healthy format, or leave it untouched to focus on Historic? So two separate. But both interesting questions about Pioneer. Yes. Short answer.
0: Yes and yes. I think Wizards actually kind of conveyed to us that they do care about Pioneer. Uh, with the last B&R, they, they said as much. I, and assuming we can take them at face value and they're like, we care. We want to make sure this, this format is fun for people. And I think the eventual inclusion of Pioneer on Arena, which I think is inevitable. It's why we're seeing Amonkhet remastered. It's why we're seeing... Um, collected company being shoved into amonkhet remastered to be added to the arena ecosystem. Like I think all of that kind of spells to them, you know, more formats is good. And if they, as long as they can kind of manage them, uh, I think they want to have as many different like ways for people to play with cards.
2: 100%. I, I, it's totally in their interest to create borders within magic cards that exist so that they can create reprint equity and give people stuff to do with their old cards. And so, you know, historic is one very weird thing that I don't understand why it exists. We'll see if that ever exists in paper in, in any form.
1: Yeah. I think that's what pioneer has over it is I don't think historic and paper is going to really happen. So that's kind of like, it's, it's going to rely on arena to sort of inform the players on what's legal or not. So, and it's just not really feasible on paper. I don't think, um, I mean, to answer the first question, I think like, if there's one thing I think I know about magic and it's that people have a lot of room in their hearts to forget about bad times and focus on the now, like if, if pioneer is good, people are going to play it and they're going to forget about the companion era. They're going to forget about the combo era because magic is fun. And, and like Stan was sort of getting at is that it's different. It's different than standard. It's different than modern. And if you like the way that the format plays, then you're going to play it and enjoy it. And if you like the ability that you have to maybe play some weird cards, that's one of the things that I do like about Pioneer, right? Is that the power level of the cards is as such that you don't have the always best in class. And that's kind of like what you know, Path and Bolt are just so clearly best in class of what they're doing. There's a lot of cards like that in modern where it's like, I'm playing this color. I'm going to play this card. And when you look at like a five color Niv pile, you see the variety of weird, not crazily busted cards in there. And there's a lot of those in all sorts of different decks where it's like, I want to tech my deck against X, Y, or Z, or I want to play, I want to play an Amonkhet aura that, you know, is a weird, curious obsession variant and do well with it. And you just don't really have that luxury in something like modern. But you do because Pioneer has the wider card pool than standard, but not quite the best-in-class stuff that you have to worry about in modern. So that's what I think is an advantage of it and why people will continue to play it. One of the reasons they will.
0: All right. Thank you, Dive Down Nation, for sharing some questions with us for this week's episode. There were several other great questions that we couldn't get to today. We'll try to save them for a future episode. We forget nothing on The Dive Down. But that does wrap up this week's episode. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. Even if you're an anarchist, signing up is easy. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern or pioneer, you can tweet us at the dive Down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash thedivedown. Also, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring our show you can sign up for Mana traders using promo code TheDiveDown, all one word, and get 20% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. Also, they're doing their Mana Traders Tournament League right now for Legacy, and renting Legacy cards is pretty easy. I think I'm going to try it out. And you get a 10 times private support multiplier if you have a Mana Traders account. So if you do well, you can get more cash. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and dig through time!
1: I think we can talk a little bit more about uh we'll talk about more can I just remove everything I just said there <laughs>